0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law firm of Northville, Michigan, and I'm also a mergers and acquisitions lawyer. And my god, were there some mergers and acquisitions last night. If you didn't see it on your screen right now, is a Twitter thread from a user named Wario64 who's pretty popular for putting out video game news for folks. And if you followed Wario64, you would have seen last night a series of press releases As the Embracer Group, that consolidated video game enterprise, purchased company after company and announced them all in press releases, one after the other, after the other. Including the announcement that they had purchased a company by the name of Middle Earth Enterprises and the literary works of J.R.R. Tolkien. We're going to talk about that. That's the big ticket item that everybody wants to hear more about but we're gonna go through it all because Embracer Group has basically launched a new foray into some unusual aspects of things that are vaguely connected to what they were already doing. Now, before we get into the details there, I do wanna point out that this is a channel supported by viewers and listeners like you through Utreon and through Patreon. And if you do support the channel through one of those platforms, you can support it on a monthly basis. And today's video is that monthly support. I wanna thank the sponsors who have subscribed at those tiers Brennan Coleman, Chillin' Joy, Falkus Vipus, Lady Emily, Lethal Five String, Nord, Opal Studded Dagger, and Sinfrog. We cannot do it without support from folks like you. With that said, let's talk about some of these things. Here's the press release that everybody wants to get to, which means I'm going to cover it close to last because we have to set the stage for what Embracer was doing, and that is, of course, the purchase of Middle-Earth Enterprises and something... Related to Tolkien's works, because if you haven't followed Middle Earth or the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, you should know the intellectual property is something of a mess. Lawsuits abound between these various entities that have different rights. You might be asking, hey, what does that mean for the Amazon series? Basically, it means nothing. But we're going to talk about all those little details. But first, we have to understand what in the world was Embracer Group doing last night? And the answer is they were setting up a new holding group within their parent Entity. So Embracer takes their companies, takes their brands, takes their intellectual property, and puts them into different organizations and runs those organizations as verticals. They have different CEOs, they have different heads of operations that do specific things that Embracer Group wants to focus on. This is a very kind of financial strategy oriented way of organizing your company. And this is how Embracer has operated since it first started drawing attention from us that follow these things from a business perspective. So they announced a new group yesterday. Called Free Mode. And let's let them describe it a little bit. Embracer Group AB today announced the formation of Embracer Free Mode, an operative group comprised of certain gaming and entertainment companies owned by Embracer. Free Mode is led by CEO Lee Guinchard, a 30 year gaming veteran and entrepreneur. Free Mode provides a global strategic, operational, and financial support ecosystem for its collective of small to mid sized companies to achieve operational efficiency and effectively grow their businesses to fulfill their long term goals. Business speak, right? In addition, free mode will expand its operating activities in the retro classic and heritage gaming category, as well as investing in iconic gaming and entertainment properties. So this is their potpourri group. We wanna hit retro, we wanna hit classic and heritage. We wanna invest in iconic gaming properties, whatever those might be. This is where we license out, we license in. This is what we're gonna do fun stuff with as part of our group. We've got other companies that are just making games. Those are easy enough to understand. This is something else. The newly formed operative group focuses on six broad and diverse business market segments including retro classic heritage gaming, game development and production, devices, gear and collectibles, community and e-commerce, new idea and technology, incubation and production services, which again tells us basically nothing. But what will tell us something is who they're putting in this group. We are proud to officially announce that we recently acquired Tetsujin, which is Embracer's first studio located in Japan. Is led by Masahiro Yuge, one of the founders of the iconic arcade game studio Toaplan, known for games such as Truxton, Snow Bros, and Flying Shark. We also acquired Bitwave Games, the highly regarded shoot 'em up games from Toaplan to PC, and published the NES FamCom classic platformer gimmick on console. Bitwave will be doing these things. We're focusing on creating. retro classic heritage line that also gets out of video games a little bit. We also recently acquired Geotech, one of Europe's leading gaming accessory brands. This is where we're putting everything. Those are those companies. We've also got Clear River Games, which presumably they're moving into this group. Game Outlet Europe, Quantic Lab, Grimfrost, C77 Entertainment. This is a reorganization of Embracer for this particular purpose. And those are the companies that didn't get separate press releases. So we're already at three just in this initial press release, and then we continue on. You might have heard of Limited Run Games, if you like physical goods at all. Limited Run was focused on making effectively digital indie games, for the most part, available with something like physical materials and with collector's editions, and they had a cool little business model that went direct to to consumers. Well, now they're in part of the Embracer family. Embracer Group AB, through its wholly owned subsidiary, Free Mode has entered into an agreement to acquire Limited Run Games from its founders, Josh Fairhurst and Douglas Bogart. Limited Run is a global leading collector, focused publisher of physical video games with a strong brand. And it's acquired through our subsidiary, which isn't just called Free Mode because that's not how we name corporations, right? But it's instead called Embracer Free Mode, Iconic Holding Inc, sure. As an avid collector, I've admired Limited Run's collector's edition, said the CEO of Embracer. They've built a strong brand that resonates with players. We see opportunities for Limited Run to further grow their business with the carbon engine by bringing back classic games and extend their footprint geographically through synergies with other companies with Embracer Group. They sure do love synergies and core competencies and leveraging things uh, in the way that Embracer Group talks, don't they? In an increasingly digital world, Limited Run has become the preferred partner for physical releases and lives by the motto, forever physical. Limited Run is well-known for its collector's editions and operates a direct-to-consumer model with a big, loyal audience of collectors. The company evolved its business model with vinyl records and other merchandise and distributed titles, helping other publishers bring physical versions of their games to market through the Limited Run site and retailers. In addition to the Limited Run brand and addressable audience, we can use their name, a strategic value is the Carbon Engine, an internally developed technology that allows legacy content and retro games to be effortlessly put out in highly accurate emulation based ports for modern platforms. They actually have some tech that Embracer was interested in. It is a core component of Limited Run's vision for a world that is forever physical. First shipped games with the Carbon Engine are Shantae and River City Girls Zero. Limited Run will operate as an independent subsidiary with Josh Fairhurst and Douglas Bogart continuing to lead the company under the newly formed operative group Free Mode. The Carbon Engine and Limited Run's business model aligns with the focus area heritage within Free Mode, cherishing retro games. They're actually just buying this wholesale and they're going to let it operationally operate within their Embracer group, at least as it stands right now. So, this is a very valuable strategic acquisition for them and they're going to continue to l- use the Limited Run brand by the sounds of things. They also accidentally bought a store. <laughs> The transaction includes the wholly owned subsidiary Limited Run Retail LLC, a retail store in Cary, North Carolina that opened earlier this year, and Limited Run's 40% ownership in the joint venture Super Deluxe Games in Japan that will source more games to Limited Run on the Western market and provide a channel to sell Limited Run's catalog in one of the strongest markets in the world for physical games, presumably referring to Japan. Now, this is the other aspect of these press releases that you will see All over the place, the parties have agreed not to disclose specific terms due to commercial reasons. We're not going to get the price point for these deals, but we're going to get something a little bit like it when we get towards the end of this video. So if you've seen reports that say we don't have any idea what the pricing is, we do. And to some extent, it seems a lot lower than you might have thought. They also purchased a company called Singtracks again, through free mode. This is all related to free mode right? This is not Embracer losing their minds and just buying companies randomly. They had been set up for this reorganization. They had been working on these deals and they wanted to execute them all at the exact same time. Singtrix, based in the Los Angeles area, is an award-winning creator of industry-leading vocal processing effects technology for karaoke, gaming, and entertainment. The Singtrix team has a 25-year history of developing iconic music games and is noted as the first to patent the core technology behind the Guitar Hero franchise. And again, they're trying to sell why they would purchase this particular company. Uh, this individual, John Deveca, uh, reinvented karaoke with SingTricks and its industry-leading studio quality vocal effects. Together with his co-founders, Al Roque and Eric Berkowitz, the Singtrix team plan to bring the next pop culture musical experience to the world. Through the acquisition, Freemode welcomes a highly innovative team of five and its extensive network that will strengthen Freemode's game development and present new opportunities for music and audio gaming products. This strikes me as a deal where they've just liked the guy. Uh, And they like potentially what the technology is. They don't appear to actually have a strong presence in the market right now. It's only a team of five people, not usually the kind of purchase that gets a big press release and otherwise gets protection from what the price was, et cetera, et cetera. This one is one of the more unique purchases that I saw announced yesterday. And I think it's very, very interesting. I'm interested to see where they go with it and what they plan to do with this particular group of five, uh, as they put it. So we've got limited run games, we've got Sing Tricks, we've got more folks. They also purchased a company called Tuxedo Labs. This was actually not purchased by Free Mode, so that's interesting. This was purchased by Saber Interactive, one of their main game development arms. They purchased a company by the name of Tuxedo Labs that is primarily known for its PC game Teardown, which went into early access in 2020, came out of early access in April of this year. Apparently was their first game and sold over a million copies on Steam. I got to tell you, if you can sell a million copies of your game first go, yeah, I think you're going to get some eyeballs. You're going to get some interest from some strategic partners, and we know it's an era of acquisition right now. And unfortunately, I haven't played this game. They say it's voxel-based, I believe, and they describe the value proposition here as a uniquely talented team focused on physics-based game technology and design. Now, this Company only has one game that only came out this year. So, one thing we see in their purchase price description is what we call an earnout. Or, as Embracer says, the parties have agreed not to disclose specific terms due to commercial reasons. The purchase price contains an upfront part and a long term potential earnout. So, when you've got a company or any other asset that you don't quite know the value of, right? They look very strong. They had a massive success early on. They sold a million copies of their first game but they haven't proven longevity that they're gonna stay in it to win it and that this is just not a flash in the pan for what they've put together. You figure out a way to bridge that gap by saying, we're gonna pay you this amount now, which is what we can actually confirm your worth to us right now. And if you are as grand and as valuable as we hope you are and you think you are, then if you hit these milestones, like you triple your revenue in the next couple of years, whatever it might be, you can set them as however you like, and we don't get more details here, then we're going to pay you more money. So you might see this as something like it's $10 million company, uh, but we owe you another $15 million if you hit these revenue goals at the 18-month mark and the 36-month mark or whatever. Um, and so in that way, you don't screw over the other side if they really are that diamond in the rough that honestly you're looking for when you purchase them, they get the value that they've otherwise provided, but you don't have to risk it on the future. Uh, And so we see earnouts in all sorts of early stage companies, tech-based companies, because the sides can't quite get to what the proper value would be without somebody taking on an inordinate amount of risk and somebody probably losing their shirt at the end of the day, one direction or the other. So you can see here, there's a certain amount of uh, value question marks on this particular deal because they've got this earnout and we don't see that earnout referenced in other contexts but it's an interesting addition to the embracer brand then we see they purchase a company by the name of tripwire Uh, Embracer Group through its wholly owned subsidiary, Saber Interactive. So another game development arm. So they got free mode. We've got all those companies going into free mode. We're going to have Middle Earth go into free mode in just a minute. And then you have, at the same time, just a couple of game companies going into their more game development oriented arm or or more traditional game development oriented arm, but still in the indie sphere. Has entered into an agreement to acquire 100% of the shares of award-winning U.S. developer and publisher Tripwire Interactive from its four current owners. Tripwire Interactive is well known for the killing floor, and Rising Storm series and their recent bestseller, Maneater, which you get to play as a shark and and you eat people. Uh, It's a good time. I I wouldn't call it like a grand experience, but it is a a game that is functional and that I enjoyed. I believe it was on Game Pass for a time. Co-founder and CEO Alan Wilson will stay on in his role and continue to run Tripwire along with Bill Monk, co-founder and lead combat designer, and David Hensley, design director, Co-founder John Gibson will be pursuing opportunities outside of Tripwire. Now that jumped out at me, right? And I didn't actually know much about this particular story, but it jumped out at me and it will have a fairly obvious answer to why it jumped out at me in just a minute. But you don't usually see things described this way. All the co-founders, at least as we describe them, and the design guy, they're staying. That's the value proposition, right? You buy a creative company, you want the creatives to stay. This guy? He's going elsewhere, and it doesn't seem to be a big negative in this press release. They don't really care about highlighting it in this fashion. As it turns out, he was in the midst of a news cycle kind of issue as he spoke out about the Texas abortion law when that kind of thing was happening in the fall of last year. We did a video on that if you're interested in that topic. Uh, but he apparently had to step down as CEO of the company, and it seems clear that Embracer really didn't want that baggage to come along with them. So if you read press releases carefully, folks, you can pick out things like this, which is, yeah, that other co-founder, he's going away. The other thing you see here is that the advisors in this particular deal included on the Tripwire side, Bank of America Securities. If you aren't familiar with them, they used to be Merrill Lynch. They are an investment banker. And so it looks like Tripwire might have been trying to sell itself, hired an investment banker to go and potentially solicit bids and offers and wound up with Embracer as their strategic partner in this particular acquisition. That's speculation on my part. But when you see an investment banker at the top, it is a little bit unusual for the sales company if they aren't otherwise engaged in a significant potential sales process. Don't know for sure, uh, but it does look at least a little bit like that. So we've got those four companies, but there was a fifth, and that's the one That everybody wants to talk about. Or as Deadline puts it, Embracer Group acquires IP rights to Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And they try to describe things. And it's very difficult to understand what's going on with these intellectual property rights. So I did my homework and dove deep into the world of Embracer Group and Middle Earth Enterprises. Here's the press release. We're going to come right back to it. But before we get into the details of what they think they bought, what they say they bought, let's take a journey back into, oh, I don't know, the mid-1970s and a history lesson about the Saul Zantz Company. Here's Saul Zantz, it's his picture right here. It says, for 45 years, the Saul Zantz Company has been a font of great American independent cinema, creating motion pictures of the highest artistic merit. Saul Zance produced 10 films, three of which won the Academy Award for Best Picture. It's a pretty good batting average, not gonna lie. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Amadeus, and The English Patient. Few producers own a home run record like this. And then it continues on from there. How amazing. The Lord of the Rings. In 1978, Fantasy Films released the animated version of The Lord of the Rings directed by Ralph Bakshi. It's terrifying. I highly recommend it. The company had acquired the film rights to J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit from United Artists in 1976. The further significance of this came to bear 20 years later when the Saul Zance Company licensed the films directed by Peter Jackson. So if none of that made any sense to you, I don't really blame you. Even the Saul Zance Company, even Middle Earth Enterprises has a little bit of difficulty explaining what happened here. Saul Zance Company acquires the rights in 1976 in an arrangement with United Artists to produce an animated version and somehow they keep all the rights? Uh, It's a little bit unclear there. I'm sure there's a much more detailed history somewhere online, somewhere on YouTube. Uh, The film was released in 1978. In 1998, the Saul Zance Company licensed director Peter Jackson's live action trilogies of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit And they actually went so far as to make a little movie about it, which I watched. uh, Primarily so you don't have to, but I'll link it in the description if you are interested. And you can see the kind of Byzantine path of intellectual property rights. So you got J.R.R. Tolkien here on the left. I'm going to try to visualize this for you audio listeners. He writes The Hobbit. He writes the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He has The Hobbit published by a company by the name of Alan and Unwin. Alan and Unwin and the Lord of the Rings all eventually, I think there's a number of steps here that are skipped in this particular map, flow over to publisher HarperCollins. They're in charge of the actual book material specifically, as I understand it. Uh, Believe me, there are a lot of details here that are not included in this 10-minute movie. So after he writes The Lord of the Rings he options out the movie rights and seemingly a lot of other rights merchandising rights and things to united artists who decides not to make a movie and instead sells those rights over to saul zantz producer the one that we had just looked at and the saul zantz company it's through those rights that came from tolkien through united artists that he makes that lord of the rings animated movie in 1978. he also makes a bunch of merchandising. This is where you get War of the Ring. This is where you get t-shirts. This is where you get the I'm with Frodo buttons. You get all those kind of things. And then in the late nineties, Saul Zant's company licenses the right specifically to make live action films within the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit to Miramax, which licensed it over to New Line, which is now purchased and owned by Warner Brothers, but that's how they make the world famous Lord of the Rings trilogy and the less world famous Hobbit trilogy. And they have all the rights and merchandise and things associated with the films. Films are based on the books. Merchandise based on the films. Can't actually cross the streams there. Can't make the merchandise directly on the books. Why? Because Saul Zantz didn't option that to Miramax. So it can't get all the way to New Line and Warner Brothers. He keeps that at a company that's now called Middle Earth Enterprises. Used to be called Tolkien Enterprises. And that's why you see the bifurcation that you have seen in Lord of the Rings fandom, right? When you go play the Lord of the Rings online, that's based on the books. When you talk about the shadow of Mordor, that's based on the books. Uh, It uses place names from the books, at least. I don't know if it's based on anything that Tolkien would recognize, but that's separate from New Line and Warner Brothers having the license right to the Lord of the Rings specifically. Even then there's conflict though, right? Constant, constant conflict (laughs) Warner Brothers, Tolkien Estate, settled $80 million Hobbit lawsuit in 2017. And this is just one of the number of lawsuits that you can find on this particular topic. This was actually about the fact of whether or not Warner Brothers and New Line had the rights to make Lord of the Rings slot machines and whether digital rights actually went with the movies or whether they were only allowed to make physical manifestations of the movies and digital rights stayed in a different place. Now, you might say to yourself, Rick, I'm looking at this map. I don't actually see the Tolkien estate. I see J.R. Tolkien here. I see HarperCollins. I see Middle Earth Enterprises. I see WB. What does the Tolkien estate have to do with any of this? Well, that's where Amazon comes in. I hope you're holding on to all this information, right? Amazon here announced again in 2017. It was a big year for Lord of the Rings news. Sets the Lord of the Rings TV series in mega deal with multi-season commitment. So the Tolkien estate starts shopping a television series to everybody. They shop it to Amazon and Netflix and HBO. And it said, at least in Hollywood rumors from this Deadline article, and this is how I remember this story going when it happened, that the Tolkien estate was looking for $200 or $250 million just for the rights, not to help make the show, not to otherwise you know, build sets, film a show, do these various things. They wanted that to just be the upfront fee for even getting the right to do this at all. And the rumors that Amazon paid $250 million just for that. Or as Deadline says, it's just for rights, before any cost for development, talent production, and proposition, whose finances industry observers called insane. <laughs> uh, and that's what Amazon is putting out there next month. It's a, a show that they promised to do for certain seasons, and that it later came out, at least again in the quotes from Amazon and other links, that the Tolkien estate had made Amazon promise that they wouldn't touch the third age, the era in which the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit take place, the Peter Jackson side of things, even though the Tolkien estate has the rights to them. Or do they? The Tolkien estate certainly thinks they do. And the way that this works in all the research I was able to find is that when the transfer of movie rights happens here between J.R.R. Tolkien and United Artists, they retain, the Tolkien estate does, or what is now the Tolkien estate, J.R.R. Tolkien himself at the time, retains the rights to long-form television series. And there's two different things that pop up online if you look this up. It is more than four episodes or at least eight episodes are the two numbers that I've seen. And I think that people just figure that out because the Amazon series is eight episodes long. Either way, there's a third kind of line that branches off here that is retained by J.R.R. Tolkien that amounts to television rights long-formed serialized television rights and so when we look at what the embracer group actually purchased we will see that they don't actually mention anything related to those specific rights so with that as our background and aren't we having fun let's take a look at what embracer group purchased Embracer Group AB, through its wholly-owned subsidiary Free Mode, has entered into an agreement to acquire Middle-earth Enterprises, a division of the Saulzantz Company, which owns a vast intellectual property catalog and worldwide rights to motion pictures, video games, board games, merchandising, theme parks, and stage productions. So they don't own the rights to the books. We know those are up at HarperCollins. They don't own the rights to television or at least not long-form television. It appears that they could make something like a mini-series, a four-episode serial that looks more like a movie than a long-form TV show. Uh, And they own the rights to other aspects of it, stage productions, theme park licensing. And if you've been paying attention to what Embracer Group has done and how they have exploited, and I don't mean that in a negative context, but just talking about it in an intellectual property one, the intellectual property that they have purchased immediately, going into the vaults, figuring out how to develop these things, figuring out how to license them out, We can expect to see a whole lot more middle earth type stuff with an announcement like this one. Whether or not that works for you is going to be a reasonable minds can differ kind of concept. We're going to get a lot more of it. Some of it's probably going to be bad, but some of it might be good. Um, And so I like to maintain my optimism here. We're going to get it either way. So let's hope for the best. Now we get some quotes. I am truly excited to have The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, one of the world's most epic fantasy franchises, join the Embracer family, opening up more transmedia opportunities, corporate people, (laughs) including synergies, synergies, across our global group. I am thrilled to see what lies in the future for this IP with Free Mode and Asmodee as a start within the group. Asmodee is the board game kind of angle. Going forward, we also look forward to collaborating with both existing and new external licensees of our increasingly stronger IP portfolio. Come ask us questions, right? Middle Earth Enterprises is effectively a licensing company. If you go to their website, you will see a big tab that says, hey, I'd like to license Middle Earth. Can I make t-shirts? Can I make board games, lunch boxes, whatever? And they're like, sure, let's talk about it. Submit your application. They even say, we're not even going to put rates down. You just submit what you think a reasonable royalty rate would be, and we'll figure it out from there. Now, the Saul Zantz Company says, We at the Zantz Company have had the honor over the past half century of stewarding the Tolkien rights so that Lord of the Rings and Hobbit fans worldwide could enjoy award-winning epic films, challenging video games, first-rate theater, and merchandise of every variety. We could not be more thrilled that it is Embracer now taking up the responsibility, and we are confident their group will take it to new heights and dimensions while maintaining homage to the spirit of these great literary works. Now, Embracer says, hey, y'all, this is going to make some money. So we've got stuff that's already in the kitty. Key upcoming work set in Middle Earth in which Middle Earth Enterprises has financial interests, whatever that might mean, include the much heralded Amazon series, The Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, which will premiere on September 2nd, 2022, set thousands of years before The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. You might say, Rick, how in the world does that happen? And the answer is looking at everything that's available online, it's a bit unclear The Zantz Company, Middle Earth Enterprises, was engaged and has some rights to what they are putting in The Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, presumably because there's something related to what they own. But it's not at all clear what that might be. They say they have financial interests. We can take it to mean that they do. They also have those interests in the animated movie The Lord of the Rings, The War of the Rohirrim from Warner Brothers, set for release in 2024, and the mobile game The Lord of the Rings, Heroes of Middle Earth. Uh, from electronic art. So suffice it to say, the way this works is even though something might otherwise be based on something that somebody else made, they have these certain core intellectual property rights to the merchandising of these things. And there are interactions about them, right? So you have the Tolkien estate, you have Warner Brothers, you have the Salzance company, Middle Earth Enterprises. Now you will have embracers stepping in to that third seat And there will, in all likelihood, continue to be a lot of intellectual property fighting around the edges. This is a hugely valuable universe. And financial interests doesn't mean ownership. It means making people happy enough that they don't sue you if something turns out to be a wild success, right? So you have all these parties kind of working against each other. And Embracer has now just taken up the mantle for what used to be a Middle Earth Enterprises and Saul company fight. But, Embracer's not done yet. Those all sound good. We've got financial interest in those. But, other opportunities include exploring additional movies based on iconic characters such as Gandalf, Aragorn, Gollum, Galadriel, Eowyn, and other characters from the literary works of J.R.R. Tolkien, and continue to provide new opportunities for fans to explore this fictive world through merchandising and other experiences. Merchandising right? Absolutely. Embracer Group didn't buy this for nothing, folks. They are ready to leverage. And that is exactly what they've done in video games. So we would expect nothing less from them on this kind of thing. Does that mean it'll be good? Doesn't mean it'll be bad. Don't jump straight to nihilism or cynicism, folks. It could be good. The acquisition of the rights is in line with Embracer's IP-driven transmedia strategy. The Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit are among the world's largest, most enduring, iconic entertainment franchises and birthed the fantasy genre. Middle-earth Enterprises will be a part of the newly founded operative group Embracer free mode and the company will continue to operate independently under the existing Middle-earth Enterprises leadership team. So much like we saw with limited run games, the plan is to, to let them live. Now. The parties have agreed not to disclose specific terms of the transaction due to commercial reasons. That's a little bit of corporate speak. It means they don't want to share on these particular terms, but Embracer did something else. They aggregated everything we've read about, which is five separate deals. It's actually a sixth deal we will see described, but not otherwise told about. And you might be wondering, wow, what kind of money did Embracer Group actually spend here? And the answer is a lot less than you think. So. As part of this particular discussion of the Lord of the Rings, I think it's worthwhile to note that we were told that Middle Earth Enterprises was selling earlier this year. In Variety, February 9th, 2022, you get a headline titled, Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit Film and Gaming Rights Up for Sale. Variety puts together an article, an array of movie, merchandising, gaming, and live event rights to the Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and other titles from author J.R.R. Tolkien are coming up for auction now. Zant's company has hired ACF Investment Bank to handle the sales process. As I said, this is what investment bankers do, which is unfolding this week as bankers make the rounds of the logical Hollywood buyers. The Tolkien properties are projected to fetch at least $2 billion based on recent high valuations for top tier IP and content producers. I will tell you right now, we apparently don't live in this market that Variety or Zant's or ACF thought we did as of the writing of this paragraph. The timing of the sales process is not accidental. Amazon is set to premiere its long-awaited mega-budgeted TV series. Rendition of the enduring Lord of the Rings saga, not exactly. Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. Amazon is at the top of the list of prime candidates to pursue the additional rights now held by Xance. The Zantz Company holdings encompass rights to exploit Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit properties in film, video games, merchandising, live events, and theme parks. It also includes limited matching rights. Should the Tolkien estate decide to make movies or other content based on two compilations of Tolkien writings that were published after his death, The Silmarillion and The Unfinished Tales of Numenor and Middle-earth. So they have the rights, Embracer does, to Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit specifically. They mention other rights to some of J.R.R. Tolkien's works. It doesn't appear to be all of them, but they have quote unquote matching rights should the Tolkien estate try to shop the various rights they have in the other books. Matching rights for purposes of our conversation here are probably something like a right of first refusal. So the token estate goes to shop something at a given price. And in this particular case, the Zantz Company, Middle Earth Enterprises, now Embracer Group, has the right to step in and say, oh, if you're willing to take it for that price, you can give it to us instead. Uh, And we'll give you that, absolutely no problem, but but we'll take the rights and we'll do something uh, with them. So that seems to be what's described here. We don't get a lot of detail in something like Variety, but there's also fighting, right? One other reason why you might not have gotten $2 billion for this is also in this Variety article. Warner Brothers also maintains some film development rights to Lord of the Rings through its ownership of New Line Cinema. But it's understood that, and I highlighted this, in the Zance Company's view, substantial live action film rights reverted back to them last year, in part because Warner Brothers had not been actively developing new Lord of the Rings and related content. That development, plus the anticipation for the new Amazon series, was enough to convince Zant's company that the time was ripe for a sale. Warner Brothers declined to comment, but it is believed that the studio and Zant's company are already at odds over who controls what when it comes to Lord of the Rings and Hobbit rights, which have been the subject of extensive litigation over the years. The Tolkien estate was also involved in all of this because they didn't feel they were getting the royalties they were owed. All sorts of things have happened and honestly always happen when something is a massive success. But if you're trying to value something, the fact that one of the main parties involved is both well-resourced, like a Warner Brothers movie studio is, and thinks that maybe you don't have the rights that you think you do, ooh, you're buying litigation if you buy into that position. And it wouldn't surprise me if the value that was afforded to Middle Earth Enterprises on the whole in the auction process or otherwise was reduced because of stuff like this. Saul Zantz, an entrepreneur in music and film who died in 2014, acquired film adaptation and other rights to the various Tolkien titles in 1976. One form of media that was carved out of the deal with Zantz back in the 1970s was the right to produce a TV series that was longer than eight episodes. Like I said, Variety says eight here. Others have said four. We don't seem to have an agreement on the details there. That loophole, it's not really a loophole. You just retain the rights. You don't sell them, allowed Amazon to cut a deal directly with the Tolkien estate For the rings of power series in 2017 when the Tolkien estate shopped that tv series Uh, and that's basically the end of the article for this purpose but the main takeaways are there's fights about these things zance puts it up for auction earlier this year wants to get two billion dollars and what do they get well we don't know specifically but what embracer group did was took the six deals that they announced all at once and they put the price together to give a little cover for everything, and probably, honestly, a little bit of cover for whatever the Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth Enterprises wound up selling for. So, Embracer Group AB and its subsidiaries have, as previously communicated on 18 August, entered into five acquisition agreements alongside one unannounced acquisition. The transactions further strengthen and diversify Embracer's portfolio with profitable IPs and franchises and increase Embracer's high margin licensing from external partners. The transactions also add to publishing capabilities in North America, solidifies Embracer's leading position with the AA, single A, indie segment of the PC console market and its efforts in asset care and retro gaming, as well as creates new opportunities for music and audio gaming products. The aggregated upfront purchase price amounts to SEK, that's Swedish krona to you and I, of $6 billion dollars of which 4.2 billion is paid in cash at closing, 1.3 billion in cash is paid in 12 months, and 0.5 billion is paid in embracer shares. Now we can break that down. First and foremost, 4.2 billion is upfront payments, that's the bulk of your purchase price. The withholding here of 1.3 billion in cash is actually what we would traditionally think of as almost certainly indemnification withholding. Uh, so when you buy a company like this, you get certain promises about that company. We've talked about that a lot in virtual legality. And if there's a breach in those promises, oh, there's actually litigation. Oh, you don't own these particular intellectual property rights. We have to go solve that for you. We can take out of that withheld amount. We can give those damages back to ourselves without having to go and extract them from your bank account. So very often when you have a merger and acquisition, you withhold a certain amount of the purchase price, and then the buyer can go and take damages and redress from that group uh, as opposed to having to go through a legal and litigation process. So they've got 6 billion all in to start out with and 1.3 billion is held back. And then they have also deferred compensation right? We talked about the fact that there were earnouts involved with at least some of these deals. And they say that that would be in an amount of up to $2.2 billion, of which 1.5 would be in cash and 0.7 billion would be in shares. The likely total consideration for the business amounts to SEK 8.2 billion. They think the companies they purchased are going to hit these earnout numbers. Now, I've said billion a lot of times here. That might sound like, hey, maybe the Lord of Rings sold for what we thought. No, it's Swedish krona. We have to actually go and translate these things. The upfront price before earnouts, 4.2 billion, just cash. is about $400 million. And if we take their entire purchase price of 8.2 billion Swedish krona, we get to a total purchase price of about $780 million, which means that for all six companies, including one that is unannounced. Embracer paid less than a billion dollars when what Variety said Zantz was shopping Middle Earth Enterprises at was two billion on its own, which means that Middle Earth Enterprises came in massively under what was leaked out to Variety in that particular deal. Now, was that leak anywhere near the realm of reality? We don't know. It was February this year. That seems like a different time even now, only six months later. But I wouldn't be surprised if litigation and other concerns and just a desire to liquidate and get the heck out of the Middle Earth business caused uh, the Zantz Company Middle Earth Enterprises to just lock this down in either direction. Now, I do think the Lord of the Rings Middle Earth Enterprises is likely the big ticket item here, probably the bulk of that number, especially when we're talking about companies that have five people uh, and things like that. That's not going to be the driver here. Uh, but it is worth noting that those are where the numbers come out. We also get a paragraph here describing again but slightly differently what embracer seeks to get out of all these companies they say in particular the lord of the rings one of the most iconic ips on the globe and the entire middle earth universe offers significant growth opportunity within pc console mobile and tabletop games we want to gamify this thing middle earth enterprises also increases embracers high margin licensing revenues from external partners we can license it out who doesn't want to make something in middle earth and creates a platform to accelerate growth in this source of revenue from the group's vast IP catalog. They then talk about Tripwire and Tuxedo. They talk about limited run. And then they also mention Embracer has entered into an agreement to acquire another company within the PC console gaming space that for commercial reasons is not disclosed today. The purchase price for this undisclosed acquisition is in the range of being among either third or fourth of the largest of these transactions. So if we're trying to suss out what the order of this was. We'd guess it was Middle Earth Enterprises, uh, maybe limited run games. uh, And then it gets a little bit dicey. I haven't looked at what the sales through of any of these companies are, but it's going to be in that middle tier of maybe double A, maybe single A type gaming on a PC console basis. So think of companies of that ilk, something like a Tripwire, something like a Tuxedo Labs. and, And we'll see exactly uh, how it goes, because they're going to have to announce the sixth company that they purchased at some point. Uh, So we'll look out for that most definitely. But that is Embracer Group. Embracer Group is moving on seemingly everything. We've talked about it being an era of acquisition. This doesn't change that, but it also might not change functionally how Middle-earth functions much at all, right? Embracer Group is going to step into the shoes of the Zantz company, of Middle Earth Enterprises, as it stood before the acquisition. They clearly want to leverage things, but we'll have to see how the token estate reacts to that, how Warner Brothers reacts to that, and just how many more lawsuits are actually going to follow from the continued fractious negotiations of what amounts to a very difficult intellectual property map to follow, even for this corporate lawyer this has been virtually got it for today i hope you found this enjoyable if you did please consider supporting the channel we can't do it without viewers and listeners like you we've got a utreon where more of the resources get to us here at the Hoglaw youtube channel we've also got patreon which i know is a platform loved by a lot of you and both are loved by our sponsors this month once again giving thanks to brennan coleman Chillin Joy, falkus vipus lady emily lethal five string nord opal studded dagger and Sinfrog. If you want to support the channel that way, please do check out those tiers. But if none of those interest you, just subscribe, tell your friends, ring bells, upvotes, engage with the content, leave comments, share us on forums, do all that fun stuff, because every little bit helps. If you watch this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality.